You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends. I'm pretty sure, you know, my real goal with Mike Seminary and Friends is to find people, extend an invitation to them to join me on the podcast that are making a difference for others. I've always called them needle movers. For me, first they inspire me. And my hope is what I know about them, what I learn about them, and then what we talk about during the course of our time together, it moves you somehow. And hopefully today this is one of those occasions. Back in July, July 14th actually, I was in Los Angeles. I was at Homeboy Industries that day. Incidentally, that's also the day where I'm going to call the person a terrorist, a terrorist in Fargo, ambushed members of the Fargo Police Department. I say it that way, by the way, because our daughter is a member of the Fargo PD. And tragically, we lost a young police officer that day, a young man that was only on the force for 90 days. We don't know what uh, was going on in the mind of this uh, person. Uh, obviously, he wasn't well. But I'm at Homeboy Industries, which is an institution now that was started about 1988 by a Jesuit priest to reach out to gang members in East L.A. If you don't know much about East L.A., it's a tough place to be, by the way, where his, his mission was to improve the lives of former gang members, people that live in the street that had become criminals, you know, people with, with, with bad backgrounds. And when I'm there that day, here's what I really learned. First of all, you know, God makes all of us. He created all of us. And some of us find ourselves in conditions where we become desperate. And sometimes desperate people do desperate things. I also learned that day that there are people that know nothing about love. They've grown up in conditions where there is nothing like real love, real love at all. And so it's easy for someone to become desperate. Yeah, I think we could all agree that that's almost a human nature kind of thing. Well, Homeboy Industries is doing really remarkable things. Not always successful because that's just the way life is. So I've also learned a little thing, a little about the, I'm going to call it the correction system. That's what we used to call it. Now we call it penal for some reason. I'm not really sure why. But we have about 2 million people that are incarcerated in our country for a variety of reasons. You know, I'm going to say that a lot of them became desperate, did desperate things. Yeah, sure. Some of them are probably people that they don't have a good bone in their body. Um, and I don't mean to judge, but that's kind of an impression we could get, right? Well, in in Cass County, during the past five years, this is right here in Cass County, over 37,000 people have gone through the Cass County Jail. And I think we could all agree that most of them are really good people. And they probably became desperate and did desperate things. So I did a little bit more research about 
what what's the recidivism rate like in our country? It's really high. Within about five years, I think it is, over 75% of one-time prisoners get rearrested. That's in a five-year period of time. And I looked at what are the programs or what are the things that they have access to in or when they come out. They talk about education, psychotherapy, drug abuse programs and other programs. But I found nothing that is close to what I learned about just not too long ago right here in Cass County with the jail chaplaincy program. And now I've talked enough. So now I'd like to introduce my guest today. I'm so blessed to have with me today on Mike's Seminary and Friends, Mike Little, the Executive Director of Jail Chaplains in Cass County, and Will Dort. I've met Mike, I think, twice, maybe three times. And he is really quite an amazing young man. And today, for the first time, I'm meeting Will Dort. And uh, Will... And Mike know each other. So I'm going to leave it at that and say, Mike Little, Will Dort, welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends. It's great to see you. How are you today? I'm going to start with you, Mike. How are you? I'm great. Great to be with you, Mike. Thank you for having us on today. Thank you for uh, this invite. Uh, yeah, it's it's been wonderful getting to know you over the last uh, few times that we've connected. And um, I can just say that uh, when I think about um, what it will take when you're t- when you're talking about helping people who've been incarcerated or been ju- involved with the justice system, um, I firmly believe that the life changing, uh, heart changing nature of it really comes down to a relationship with Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform an individual. And so, because of that belief, uh, we are that that kind of is at the root and the stem of what we're doing with jail chaplains. And I that's how I got to know Will Dort. Uh, and so, Will has just uh, is a great supporter. Has served on the jail chaplains board of directors in the past. And uh, Will, why don't you say hello as well? Hi guys, uh, Mike and Mike. <laughs> Nice to meet you, Mike. Uh, it just, uh, it, it, it's an honor. Um, uh, I've been part of the uh, jail chaplain ministry for quite some time. Um, got incarcerated back in the uh, fall of 2006. So that's how I got involved. And ever since then, in the program, I've seen the program, uh, uh, the people there and uh, the way God is working in their hearts and to help people like me, um, to help turn my life around, point me to Christ. And it's just it's been it's been an honor uh, to be a part of this program, and it's just been um, such a privilege to, that I have the time time to serve on the board. Um, it just it's been incredible, and I know where where I've been at in my life. And um, if it wasn't for these guys that came along and um, walked with me uh, in this journey, you know, I don't know exactly exactly where I would be at. Uh, my story um, has been a big part of my story has been Joe Chaplin ministry and what uh, the men and women uh, that's a part of this program, what, you know, things they've done to, to connect me with Christ and, and also to even keep me in the States, you know, so we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it just, it's, it's an honor. And just thank you for providing a platform where we can share um, what Joe Chaplin is doing and um, what, what Christ is doing in our lives. Well, Will, th- thank, thank you, you for that, and thank you for joining me. I'm going to stick with you, 
for for a couple of questions to really kind of tee up what jail chaplain is doing and mike i i went to your website uh in the process of doing research oh, but let me back up in my introduction will what were my statements fair when i said you know it's usually desperate people end up doing desperate things and sometimes they end up in the system they're good people but they become desperate becoming desperate can turn you into a person that you do something desperate and all of a sudden you end up incarcerated was that a fair statement to make i i i would completely agree and i and i would just uh you know to, in my life and i believe that's you know how i got you know incarcerated because i remember back in when i was homeless i didn't have a place to, to live and you know and you know I'm, I'm sitting there i'm sleeping on my uh friend's trailer park on the floor and i'm looking like how do i get out of this out of this mess and you know at desperate time like you said we take we make desperate decisions and that decision was to go sell drugs and to get myself uh back up and it was you know the wrong decision but what you said was completely 100 percent correct is okay. desperate times sometimes lead us to desperate choices in our life uh, thank you and uh, and i also mentioned some people know nothing about love you did you you were born in haiti but conditions in Haiti, I love what you said in, I don't know if it was an interview, but the piece that was on your website, I love what you said about heaven. And people wanted, so many people wanted to leave Haiti to get to the United States, to get to America, because, well, uh, it's not, I'm paraphrasing what you said, it's yep. not heaven, but it's just a little bit below it. <laughs> 100%. So you grew up, and it wasn't an easy it's, share with us what it's like as a kid in Haiti. Well, as a kid in Haiti, you know, growing up there, you, you don't know how bad Haiti is until you get out of Haiti. As you, you live there, that's all you know. And um, I remember, you know, as a kid, you know, you wake up early in the morning, you know, most kids are, you know, we raised in the countryside, you know, you farmers, you know, feed the goats, feed the pigs, you know, don't have many, just a couple of little livestock, but you have to take care of them. And walking to school about 45 minutes um, one way and then 45 minutes back, and you're looking at, you know, all day, you know, schools don't serve no food. So if you get a little food in the morning to eat and then you get out of school around 2 o'clock all day long, you haven't eaten anything. And then, uh, you know, in my town where I went to school, you know, it's – it's not flat ground. You keep climbing a mountain and climbing down and all those things. You know, it, it was a difficult lifestyle. And think about Haiti when I, after the earthquake, I went back 2012 and it literally looked like somebody just bombed the whole place. And my house that I grew up in, and I'm thankful that I grabbed the picture when I went back in 2012, but I've been here since 97 or whatever, but it was a straw roof mud wall. And it was two room and six of us was living in it with dirt floor. And that that's how I grew up, you know, having as a kid, I probably watched television maybe twice as a kid, probably written in the car, maybe five times. And it's the life. And you have people right now that lives in Haiti that never watched TV before, that never even experienced electricity. So it's uh, quite quite the 
you don't know how blessed you are until you get out of Haiti and you experience uh, America and some, you know, other places in the world and you find out like, wow. So there is a different life. It's, it's the whole world is not like this. Yeah. Well, th thank you. Well, I'll come back to you here momentarily. And just to fill in some gaps, folks, I'm going to encourage you to visit uh, Will's website and we'll, we'll give that information in a little bit so you can learn more about Will and his story, losing his father and some of the things that happened between getting here and having a man that he loved that he lost and then things that happened and to uh, result in being incarcerated. That leads me back to you, Mike. You have not been in this position that long. You uh, were not the executive director of the jail chaplains when we first met. And that's a little, that's about a year and a half ago when we met. What happened in your life that said, and, and the conversation you shared with me that you had with your wife about, hey, I think I'm going to make a change. We've kind of fill in some of those gaps for us, please. Yeah, you bet. Well, I know a few years ago, about three years ago, um, the retiring executive director of jail chaplains, Jerry Leach, had asked me to if I would MC their dessert social, which is uh, the annual fundraiser in the fall. Ours this year is coming up October 5th. Uh, and so we're right in the swing of uh, building, getting sponsors and building that up. Uh, but that's our big fundraiser for jail chaplains. And um, and so anyway, I, I agreed to MC the event. And I remember coming in and going to some community groups that were happening late at night uh, on the community and anger management group and um, participating in, in those activities. And every year I would basically, my involvement kind of ended with uh, emceeing the event. And I didn't really get involved as a volunteer within the ministry outside of that necessarily. I, um, you know, I came to to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was 11. Uh, and then um, it was actually at a, a crusade event in Bismarck. I grew up in Bismarck, North Dakota. And then um, throughout my walk, my whole background, my career has really been focused on healthcare. And I, uh, myself, I have type one diabetes. And so at a young age, I was diagnosed with that. Around the same time I, I came to know Jesus actually. And so I, I just had this experience of really wanting to serve and help people within healthcare. It started at St. Alexis in Bismarck, serving food to patients. Uh, patients are really happy to see you when you bring in orange sherbet and not a needle. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, and that was kind of the start of realizing I really wanted to help people, um, but I also wanted to help people be well and, and to be restored and healed. And so my whole background has been that. And so uh, when I went to the University of North Dakota, that's what I went for to study. I took a, a few year detour career wise to work for the Target Corporation uh, in logistics, but then came back into healthcare. So my I was the manager of primary care programs uh, up at Altru in Grand Forks for a few years. And then uh, my wife, uh, Louise, and I both moved to Fargo about five years ago um, to work with the Dakota Medical Foundation. And so I served as the executive director for the North Dakota Dakota Dental Foundation and the Optometric Foundation of North Dakota. So I ran a vision and a dental um, nonprofit. And so we helped people kind of fill in the gaps in healthcare uh, related to dental and vision. And so I was actually, uh, so I was in that career and humming along doing statewide projects, really loving it, um, feeling like I was fulfilling my purpose. 
and then it was about it was last August, I think. I was reading this book by David Platt, great book called Radical. And uh, not a book to read if you're if you just bought a house or planning to buy a new car or anything else. But it's one of those that you get through it and about every other paragraph, you have to put it down because it kind of rocks your world a little bit, you know. And as I was reading it, there was two things that really stuck out to me. Uh, You know, one was the fact that the Great Commission that Jesus left was not is not just a calling for a few, but a command for all Christians. And as soon as I that dawned on me, it was like, I just prayed and I said, Lord, send me to the edge of your kingdom advancing. And then the second thing was just realizing that um, I had this pride in my heart that was sort of keeping me from really loving and seeing people the way that Jesus does. And as soon as I realized that, I repented in the moment and I confessed it. And I just asked the Lord to to lift, to remove that from my heart and to help me to see and love people the way he does. And, and then in that moment with those two prayers, uh, I just, I felt this churning, this change in my heart. And I could just sense that something had had changed um, in my in my deepest desire. And as soon as that changed, I just started getting during my qu- quiet time with the Lord and prayer, I just got the sense that he was saying, get ready for a change, be prepared. Like I just kept getting these sort of words from the Lord on that. And then um, I go to a church, I serve as an elder at Relevant Life Church. And our our pastor, our lead pastor approached me, Travis, and he just said, Mike, I, I was praying for you. And he's like, I believe I have a word from the Lord for you. And he just said, uh, I think you're going to be approached with a job opportunity out of the blue in an area of work that you just aren't expecting, something totally new. And he said, it's going to be really challenging, but you can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit, staying in the routines you've developed now of praying, being close to God and leaning on him and his anointing. And so I had that. And so I was sort of expecting And so I had that and I was like expecting something and I didn't know if that meant career wise or if that meant, you know, like a volunteer role or what, you know, what that was. Um, But I was at this event for nonprofits and Jerry Leach, who is the retiring executive, was attending as well with other nonprofits. And I was asked to pray to open up the meeting. And so I prayed, invited Jesus to bless our time. And at the end of that prayer, Jerry said she heard one of the most clearest messages from the Holy Spirit she's ever had, where he just basically spoke to her in that moment and said, Mike is going to be a replacement. Go talk to him. And so (laughs) Jerry, Jerry approaches me the next day and just says, Hey, I don't think anybody knows this yet, but I'm planning to retire. Basically, have you ever considered jail ministry? And I said, no, I've never, (laughs) out of the blue, I've never considered it. I actually remember in the back of my mind thinking that would be something I would never want to do. I I don't know. I I thought that, but I just had those because that was before my heart really had changed. And, uh, and then in the midst of that, I just, I, I was like, wow, that just is eerie how that aligned with what God was speaking to me. And so I just felt like I needed to take the next steps of obedience, which were to apply, to ask for consideration to be applied, to be able to apply and then actually applied. But in the midst of it, my wife, Louise was like, no, she's like, I don't think that's a good fit. She just said, I think, I think you're happy where you are, you know, doing medical, doing dental and vision. And she just said, I, that's your, been your whole career. Like, why would you change? And so Internally, Wait, no, in the family. I've got to ask you a question. Yeah, yeah you bet. Were you in a Were you in a new home? Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 We just bought a new house. So you're waiting for a bolt of lightning. It wasn't really a bolt of lightning, and she's not looking for a bolt of lightning at all. <laughs> yeah, okay, she's so, just I, like, I interrupted. Go ahead. 
<laughs> that's good. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's funny how God uh, plans his timing on things. And, uh, and yeah, and so she was just, she, my wife really likes stability, doesn't really enjoy, appreciate change uh, as much. And, and I'm kind of the opposite. I just sort of go with the flow and, and love to just go where, where uh, I believe the Lord is leading. And anyway, so in the midst of that, I just prayed and I said, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, I believe that if this is of you, would you please just, you know, work in my wife's heart and my heart? And I just prayed for unity and peace. I just said, would you grant us those two things? And I, I felt like the Lord was saying yes. And so I just had this sort of confidence that the Lord would come through within that scenario if this was really of him. And so I just, um, I went through the process. I ended up applying and doing all of the steps and actually got, ended up getting a job offer around Christmas. And then um, I, we gave it some extended time. We were praying and fasting on it, um, bringing it to the Lord. And I just, uh, at the end of it, we just didn't have unity and there wasn't peace with it. And so I actually rejected the offer and I thought that was the end of it. So when I rejected the offer, I thought, okay, I'm just going to stay in healthcare. And, but the Lord had other plans and I couldn't get the jail ministry out of my heart, out of my spirit. And as I kept thinking about it, I just offered it up to the Lord. And I said, you know, one night I was just sort of in anguish and I prayed and I said, Lord, what's my purpose? And he answered me with a word in the, in, in my mind. And he just said, our facts said, and I was like, our facts, what, like, what, what, what does that even mean? Is that a word? And, uh, I had to look, Google it. And so I looked it up and it's the grandson of Noah and the name means healer and releaser. And so I was shifting from a season of healing into a season of releasing, uh, releasing captives, which had been um, a mere message from uh, that I've been getting from the Lord as well. And then a good buddy of mine, three in the morning, texted me and just said, I was praying for you late into the night, had a dream. I believe the Lord shared the words Kadesh Barnea. And he's like, those are the planes of decision. That's a place where Abraham pleased God and he created an altar and he obeyed the Lord. And it's where the Israelites were fearful of entering the promised land and they're forced to wander for 40 years. He said, you were there at the planes of decision a few weeks ago when you rejected the offer, but he said, you're back. God's giving you a second chance. And in the midst of all of this, I was at a prayer time at my church and I just asked the Lord to just make it really clear in in my wife's and my heart's as what to do. And at the end of that, uh, my wife actually called me and talked to me and she just said, yeah, she's like, I think this is a calling from the king. She's like, I, I think I'll support you. I think you need to move into it. And so as soon as I had that, I went back to the jail chaplain's board and just said, hey, I'd like to be reconsidered. They said, well, we'd love to have you present in front of the board to say why you said no and then why you want to come back. And so as I was waiting for that, I was at work. I was talking with a, a Christian friend late on a Saturday. And as I was sharing all of this, he just said, well, Mike, is there any question as to what you're going to do? And I said, well, yeah, I think I still have some fear. And I didn't realize to what extent fear was in my heart or a barrier to some of this. And But what I realized is as I started sharing those fears between the two of us, the Holy Spirit just eliminated the fear. It was gone. And after the last one came out, I just had this like alignment in my spirit and my will of knowing, okay, I'm going to align with what God wants me to do. And I believe this is it. And as soon as I had that like desire and it aligned, I just felt like this blanket of peace fell on my shoulders. And I just had this confidence with it. And then there was that unity with my wife. There was peace uh, among the, uh, with the decision. And I was able to step into this role. So it, it was, it was a very uh, unexpected way that the Lord grabbed my heart in this and now has just like set me on fire for loving people who are incarcerated or have been involved with the justice system and really pointing them to Jesus and being able to walk with Jesus. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Mike. That's 
that powerful and it shows if we're obedient what what really can happen what changes in in life can take place and in addition how we can serve others um, especially at a time where the church and believers are kind of under attack in some places really under attack in our country and all we're really trying to do is make a difference will uh, back to you um tell me about the purple bike and riding <laughs> to to molar barber how, how did you decide that uh, being a barber was in your future and and by the way if i'm not mistaken you're the first mm-hmm. uh like black licensed barber mm-hmm. in the state of north dakota how did how well, did that occur in your life well I got to say, like, I started cutting hair when I was in Haiti back, I was like eight or nine years old. You know, I remember, uh, you know, giving the neighborhood kids, you know, a spoon of food so I can practice cutting their hair. <laughs> and uh, that's where that's where it began. It began with the transformation um, from, you know, seeing an individual that, you know, that haven't had a haircut in a long time. And then to see how much better they look and feel afterward, it, it, it to me, it just grabs me. And I believe God used that and then never allow me to put my tools down even before I went to the barber college. Hmm. And when I, when I got to the state, you know, I go from a pair of scissors and uh, razors and combs and and then to electric clippers. So I had to relearn how to do everything all over again, but um, that's where, that's where it all began. And uh, as far as, uh, you know, barbering, I felt like it chose me in a way and God had put that desire in my heart at an early age. And as far as like that purple bike, it was when I was, uh, when I was serving, uh, my nine month sentence, I got incarcerated, like I said, back in 2006, uh, for selling methamphetamine. And that was my, my des- desperate move that I tried to make to, uh, to fight homelessness because I was, I didn't have a place to stay and I was trying to get a roof over my head. And uh, I found myself incarcerated back in 2006, and there was a program there along with Jail Chaplain Ministry uh, called the Work Release Program that Cass County Jail used to provide the inmates um, way to get out, go get a job, and uh, and they allowed me to go to school. And I'm pretty sure I probably was the only person that wasn't working, but that was going to school in the program that they had and that's to me that's all god right there because it's called work release not school release so and um i remember when they told me i could go to school but i didn't have a car and i remember it was middle winter and (laughs) during that time and i was like man how am i going to get to school it's cold outside i don't have a car and i don't have anybody to pick me up every day and drop me off every night um one of my uh cellmates you know we're in like a dorm um, he had told me that, well, he's joking around. He's like, well, my daughter have a, a little, a little girl's bike. You know, I'm like, well, just bring it in. <laughs> I'll ride it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, you can't go outside, go check out the bike. You know, they had like a bike rack in the parking lot. And he's like, yep. He told me the color. <laughs> he's like, yep. It's little girls, the little purple girl's bike, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, man, I, I I got to get right. And I know that God had laid it on my heart to get my life right. And 
what I needed to do is go through that process that he's about to take me to get where I am right now. And I remember driving that bike from Cass County Jail over over to Moeller Barber College downtown. And, you know, like middle of winter, no sidewalks because it's covered with snow. And I'm driving in the middle of the street every single day. And I remember while I was driving and and you couldn't, you know, you couldn't take that away from me because I wanted to change that bad. And I remember telling myself, you're riding towards success, you're riding towards success. And no matter how cold it was outside, and I, I tell myself that, you're riding towards success. Don't even worry about the cars that are honking at you. Get out of the road. Don't worry about that. Just keep riding. And, you know, <laughs> you know, 15 years later, here we are, you know? That's just yeah. awesome. How, how long... How- how long a period of time were you going from the jail on the bike to Moeller Barber College? I did the bike for at least four or five months. And then my my wife, my she was my girlfriend at the time, she uh her mom helped me to get a car. But that was around springtime. So all through the winter I was I was on that bike. Yeah. So Will are you are you telling us that you had a bike that was mm-hmm. in a, was it was it locked up? Um, I didn't have I didn't have a lock for it because it's it's the jail anyway. I'm pretty sure nobody's got you know at that time nobody's was gonna steal it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm asking. <laughs> it's <was> pretty safe. <laughs> oh, I just that is just that's just awesome. Yeah, and, and when I got to school, I got to bring the bike inside, so you know it was pretty safe. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you know, this people, question. I wasn't. I wasn't yeah. going to. But you just made me think of something. You're. I read a little bit about your dad. He was. He 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 died when you were young. He was a yep. hardworking man, and yep. I'm sure a hero for you. But I got to think the next hero in your life, other than Jesus, has got to be MB because MB. Oh, oh man. With you all, right. <laughs> All the way, all the way. Like we we met, it was back in 2003 and it was down in Detroit Lakes, you know, and she was dating, you know, three, four different characters and that I played. And the whole time, you know, from 2003. And then I remember I had moved to New York in 2005 for a few months. And I remember something got over me, and I believe that God was speaking to my heart. He's like, you need to tell her the truth about yourself. And I remember that before that, it was just like I couldn't sleep. That's all I was thinking about, how sweet, how innocent she was, you know what I mean? And that who I was, it's like she was dating the devil. And God had put it on my heart so heavy, and one day, and I ended up confessing, to all the things that I was selling drugs, I was sleeping around, all that stuff. I had just emptying myself. And it's like God was preparing me to come back to Fargo because eventually I came back to Fargo. It was uh, February of 2006. And I remember that when, when uh, my brother had called my mom's house, but I was staying there saying like, what are you doing in Fargo's Most Wanted? And I felt like that's probably one of the things that God used to glue us together because he he allowed me and enabled me and softened my heart 
to open up to her and told her who I was and also all her family, everybody knew about it. And they're like, okay. And when I got locked up, I didn't have nobody to bail me out because I had turned myself in that night. And I had called her and say, they finally got me. And then we sat over the phone, she cried. And her mom, the one that came and bailed me out on two mm-hmm. class A felonies, facing 20 years each. So you're looking at that, that's God sent. Yeah. I love how you it's, just uh, said that about uh, MB that she was dating two or three characters that I was playing. Yep. Wow. Well, by the way, folks, I should let you know that the name of Will's business is Skill Cuts. Skill, S-K-I-L-L Cuts, C-U-T-Z. And the website is skillcuts.com. They also have an Instagram presence, Skill Cuts. Barbershop Salon. Did I say that right, Will? Correct, correct. Okay. I'll come back to you in a second, Will. So, Mike, you had this uh, life-changing conversation with our Lord and Savior, and you made a change in your career. How's it going? (laughs) Good. Uh, It's it's so good. It's so good to be in the Lord's will. There's a, there's a confidence and a peace that comes with it that's beyond anything else. I, I wouldn't be anywhere else. And I, I think um, knowing uh, every, the, the part that's uncomfortable, though, so if I'm being really candid, uh, the part that's been uncomfortable for me is to uh, live in a way where every day I feel like I'm being prepared to have greater faith. I feel like the Lord is laying the foundation for me to just trust in him with the things for today um, and, and, and have faith in the things for today from him. um, So I can have greater faith for the things for tomorrow. And I guess what I mean by that is uh, there's just been so many scenarios, so many situations already that I've just really had to be listening um, to the Lord and to, to be spending time with him in prayer and just be seeking him and really seeking the architect, uh, not, you know, and then trusting that the plan will come, uh, through him. But a lot of it has been, I would describe as almost like uh, baby steps in faith. It's just like, you take that next step of obedience of where he's leading. And then sometimes you don't know the three or four steps beyond that. And for me, that's, that's kind of uncomfortable. I'm, it's something new to get used to of, of, uh, of sort of working in that flow, working in that rhythm. And, um, and so to be honest, it's been a, a growing season. It's been a season of uh, operating in a way that I'm not really normally comfortable or used to. Um, but it's been so good because the Lord mm-hmm. has just made it abundantly clear that this is his ministry and we're just along for the ride and say yes and amen. Uh, you know, there was, um, I was actually, Will and I were, were getting together uh, a few weeks ago and we were at uh, a coffee shop in town in Fargo. And um, I didn't, I, Will, I don't think I told you this afterwards, but after uh-huh. we left, after we left coffee that day, uh, I was pulling out of the parking lot and I looked over and I saw a license plate that said WWJD, like what would Jesus do? And oh. I just thought, oh, that's kind of cool. That's a cool license plate. And then I just took off and I was almost to the interstate pretty far away. 
And then the Holy Spirit just like spoke to me and said, go find that person. And I was like, really? You want me to go back? Like, you want me to like turn around? I was like, and then I kind of like double, I kind of questioned him again. He's like, yeah, go back and find it, find them. And so I went back to the coffee shop and, uh, and I went in and I didn't want it to look like I came back just for that. So like I went to the restroom and like, you know, kind of like walked around a little bit and then started going, you know, table to table asking if that was somebody's car. And on by the third or fourth table, I actually found the person and they just, they invited me to sit down with them. And I just said, Hey, I'm, my name's Mike. I'm with jail chaplains. I believe the Holy spirit asked me to come find you. And I was just like, I mean, you know, you just, you just be honest. And, uh, anyway, what, what was pretty phenomenal from that is sitting with the lady who, whose license it was, she was sitting with somebody who has a ministry in town that helps women who've had multiple, have had abortions. Um, and they, and they, it points, them to Jesus and helps them mm-hmm. with uh, the shame that they're experiencing to help them come to the Lord. And we had just heard from some of our our volunteers that work with the women in the jail that that's one of the biggest barriers of coming to Jesus and following Jesus is the shame that comes with having abortions. And so we had just heard that that was on our heart. And then uh, this lady said, actually, I've been wanting to get connected with volunteers that work with inca- people who are incarcerated. And so we exchanged, you know, information and she shared some of her resources and next week she's going to be speaking to our volunteer gathering uh to kind of share the resources she has available and how to talk with women so it's those moments where it's like sometimes you know the lord knows what we need and he knows what's next and sometimes we just we really need to be open and listening that's that's awesome you know in in my introduction I mentioned the recidivism recidivism rate in in our country, which is very high. And during the fairly cursory form of research I did, because there's volumes, mountains of information with regards to the penal and correction systems, et cetera, et cetera. And they talk about the recidivism factors are really impacted by when you get out your you're, you're hanging with criminal peers and the social st- stigmatization of, of, of being incarcerated, not having adequate skills necessary for making adjustments when you come out, and particularly when it comes for employment, et cetera, et cetera. One thing I couldn't find a reference to at all. And hopefully you're kind of doing the job, Mike, so I'm not sure if you'll have this. But the impact of this type of ministry, where it's it, it's you're not walking alone, you're walking with Jesus, and you're walking with a volunteer to help guide you through that transition from being incarcerated to then uh, being released and, and all that follows. Do you have any kind of information with regards to that, Mike? Yeah, great. Oh, I'm glad. Thanks for teeing that up, Mike. Uh, so we we have a, a director of chaplaincy services on site that in his background, he was actually getting his Ph.D. in computational sciences before Jesus grabbed his heart and said, I want you in the ministry. And uh, so he's he's has his pastoral credentials, does pulpit fill in eastern North Dakota and also serves as our uh, director of chaplaincy. And he's got this background in analytics and I.T. And early on, 
uh, when we brought them on board, one of the things I realized is we've got very scant internal data on related to recidivism and, and tracking within our programs. But even nationally, the literature is pretty scant. Um, you know, there's just when it relates to chaplaincy and then these types of uh, connecting people to like local churches and small groups. And so, uh, you know, that was something where I, I, I've we both the, um, our new director and myself got together and we just said, we need to start measuring this. We need to track it because this is something where we I think we we believe that this would really add to that story of uh, how this is making an impact. And so early on, he was actually able to go onto the Cass County Jail's website, pulled some public source information, has like record numbers for the inmates and, and their information. And he's able to plug that into Power BI, do some stuff on the back end. And then we're cross-referencing that to people who are in the jail groups when they're in jail and then people who are in, in groups when they're in the community and those that we're walking with. And so we're starting to measure it, but no, not yet. We don't, not yet, but we will. And we, uh, we're excited to be able to share that information in the future. Um, we are tracking just uh, from an outcome standpoint, um, you know, some information based on people who go into these living free groups, which it helps people with life controlling issues, uh, points them to the Bible, gives them uh, a toolkit of resources to be able to address issues like anger, for example. There's like an anger management group uh, there. But we run dozens of these groups uh, and change them out every season. And those are running in the jail. They're running uh, in the community so people can bridge that gap into those groups. And then in addition to the groups that we're running through the Living Free model, we also point people to uh, other groups that churches are running in the community. So really being the hub for the church community in this in this region to come together and surround um, people who have been incarcerated uh, in the community once they come out and visiting them while they're in jail, just like, uh, you know, Matt. Jesus talks about in, in the book of Matthew. Um, and so I would say with the Living Free groups, uh, we ask a series of five questions in a survey about, hey, um, tell us about how you've been able to, uh, in your relationship with your family before being in this group and then after. Tell us about taking responsibility for your decisions and, you know, your personal, your, uh, your decision making before and after coming out of this group. And we've seen a, a very good, very positive scores that we would say that when people say agree or strongly agree on those, you know, we consider that a personal growth index. And we've seen scores that that rival the national curriculum uh, mm -hmm. that we're using for this living free model. So th those are things where I think it's pointing us in the right direction, saying, yes, it is working, uh, you know, from the outcomes survey. Um, but when it comes to actual recidivism data, no, we don't have that information yet. But that's something we hope to start tracking. Yeah, but by the way, I I looked at the survey. That's very very encouraging information that that you shared with me, and that you make available to others. Will I'm going to ask you a question about your business in a minute, but I got to go back mm -hmm. to one other thing, Mike. We're rapidly becoming um, a far more unchurched nation than we were thirty, forty, maybe fifty years ago, and that's significantly different being unchurched and not having a relationship with Jesus. Those are two completely different things. I, I think we could agree. You know, they're going to church and having a relationship, two completely different things. When you visit with your team and with members of your program that, that are coming out of the system, can you gauge the percentage of people that 
had no relationship prior to going in and then being exposed to jail chaplaincy. Yeah. Um, so we that is not something that I have the data for, but it's something we hope to start tracking as well within our programs. Anecdotally, just from a, like a straw poll example, um, you know, a few uh, there was a few sessions ago where I was at an event in the jail where we, so in the jail itself, there's about 340, 350 people who are actually at the, in the jail at any given time. And out of that population, you know, only about maybe 100 people have the, the rights or privileges to be able to do activities. And then out of that, um, usually in our in our groups that we offer or in like the church service or the different functions that we do in the jail, there's about 50 uh, men and usually about um, 10 to 15 women um, that will participate separately in um, group settings. And so there was an example where there was a, a church function happening on a, a Friday night. There was 50 uh, men that came into this event that were attending it, and they were given the opportunity to uh, to start a relationship or renew their relationship with Jesus. Out of the 50 people in that room, 20 of them stood up in front of their peers and said, yes, I'm dedicating myself to Jesus. I'm going to start following and walking with him. And um, that was something where, uh, you know, I just think it was so sweet that um, to see the hunger of those that were there just wanting to lean in and and start that walk. And then out of those 20, you know, six got baptized. And so they publicly mm -hmm. declared their desire to, to continue following Jesus. And that was in one night. And so when we think about that, that's happening, those, that session that's happening weekly, there's multiple groups happening weekly, you know, the, that there's just this sweet opportunity to connect with people when they're really uh, at probably one of the lowest points in their life, really just being reflective on their own choices, thinking about their future and um, realizing that there's that gap, there's something missing, there's something they need. And then we, you know, we're basically saying, yes, that you do have a gap that is Jesus. And so we have had people coming from different religions. We've had people coming out of new age. We've had people coming out of backgrounds with witchcraft and, um, you know, just generational curses. You know, we've seen a lot of, um, you know, anecdotally of these relationships that have been very anti-Jesus, you know, even historically in the larger family. And then people, once they start seeing the blessing that comes with walking with the Lord, that just spreads among their family, that spreads. And they become like, for example, like in our church the other day, we had a guy who uh, had been in jail, had this like, um, you know, was basically really a hardened kind of gang gangster and just this person who is big into the, the uh, like the gang scene and found Jesus, like totally just transformed his life, took heroin away from him, took, you know, all these other drugs out of it, out of his, uh, he removed that from him and free from all of those things. And his whole family got baptized. And so like that, you're just seeing this, like the people, when they receive the healing from the Holy spirit, when they receive deliverance from, you know, uh, the demonic and they come out of that and they can see that goodness and that peace that comes through Jesus, it just spreads like wildfire through families. And so um, that's really encouraging. But, you know, when we think about like, what Satan is using as uh, his tools, there's three. So he uses uh, delusion, secrecy, and isolation. And so when we think about those three things, delusion, secrecy, and isolation, to combat those, to combat delusion, you know, you have the word of the of the Lord, you have 
the Bible. And so we point, everything points to the Bible. To combat secrecy, the Holy Spirit will really route that out in people's hearts. And to combat isolation, it's really people. It's fellowship with other Christians. And so, yes, you know, you could have a relationship with Jesus and be unchurched, but I don't think you'll be as successful in the long run as a young or new Christian to be operating independently or isolated because it really takes a community. It takes people helping to point things out in your life and to show love and support and be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, to you in a, in a very tangible, real way that um, I think is how we're meant to walk this out. Yeah, here's, here's what I'm hearing. Going back to how I opened this, some people, like the video of the gentleman you showed to Deb and me when we were in your office. Some people know nothing about love, r real love. Some people have parents that tortured them uh, unmercilessly. I mean, people that even use fire to torture their kids. So here now is a caring process and system where you have a human being that loves you, that's also sharing then the most ultimate, powerful love of all, the love of Jesus Christ. And you you get a double whammy. You get somebody that's walking alongside with you that you can touch and hug and talk to that loves you. And then you're being introduced to the, you know, the perfect parent, the person that really loves all of us, right? And doesn't judge us at all, Jesus Christ. Will, Tell us a little bit about your family that works alongside with you at Skill Cuts. I, I love your website. I love the picture of your team. And you've got you have family members there that, you know, literally your brothers and a couple other partners. Tell us yep. a little bit more about Skill Cuts, please. Well, um, after I uh, got out of jail in 2007, um, graduate Barber College around the same month. And um my my older brother that came in with us later, we we're supposed to go to barber college together. And I remember uh, he drags us, you know, I think most of my family, they kind of let somebody lead and then follow later. Because <laughs> um, hmm. I always, for myself, I even though I'm one of the younger brothers, I, it always seems like, okay, let's see what he's going to do, you know. Um, I remember when uh, it was time for me to apply for barber college and I was about to go to jail at that time. And then he uh, he was supposed to go with me, my older brother, AJ. And then he's like, oh, I'll just go and I'll come out and fill the application. Uh, like, AJ, I just got in school. He's like, oh, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll follow later. AJ, I'm almost done with school. Oh, I'll follow later. <laughs> and then it was uh, about the time where I'm like, AJ, I'm about to open my own shop. Oh, here I am. And then uh, and we started Skill Cuts uh, back in 2008, fall of 2008. And we started uh, just being a partner of mine, Brandon LaFrance. He owns uh, Taylor Made Barber and Studio in Fargo here. Um, but we started uh, Skill Cuts for about 2500 bucks. We had, None of us had any money. Um, I borrowed the money to start Skill Cuts from a great friend. And he was one of my former high school teachers, uh, Mr. Dave Heidi. Um, he, uh, Right when I got out of jail, 2007, um, the car that my wife, mom bought for me had broken down. And I went out there and asked him, uh, hey, you know, I'm looking for a car, but I don't have any money. <laughs> and uh, he looked at his partner and he looked at me and then I saw a car. He's like, you don't want that one. This, you know, the winter's going to be harsh. 
I have something better for you. And it was a uh, 2000, I mean, a 1995 Mazda Millennia. And he sold me that car that day, no money down. And he told me just every two weeks when you get, when I get, when you get, he's like, when you get paid, come and pay that car. And then he went against his partner's, you know, wishes to sell me the car and he trusted me. And sure enough, you know, he sold me the car and uh, I, that's what I use for work. And then when I was about to open Skill Cuts, he had no money. So here I am trying to bring the car back about a year later. And he's like, what are you going to drive? I'm like, well, I rode a girl's bike to barber college. You know, I'll take a bike. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, what do you need the money for? I'm like, I'm trying to open my own business, but I don't have no money. The only thing I have is this car and I'm willing to sell the car back to you so I can get my money to open this business. And then uh, he's like, don't do that. And then he borrowed me the money and we started still cuts in 2008 for 2,500 bucks. It was two chairs. And then uh, a year later, AJ came and joined. They become three chairs. Actually, he become four chairs. There was another guy that joined us six months later. And then uh, from there, like we kind of got kicked out of the place we were at. It was over at Main Avenue because we only had like, we had four chairs, three parking spots pretty much for us. And then if we had clients, they were parking on other spots and then they were they, they weren't happy about it and then eventually they're like well you know you're not getting kicked out but you have to find a bigger place for your business and then from there we went to uh on 25th street uh by the big top bingo there mm-hmm. and then we got a shop there we turned it into five chairs and then they went to eight and then they went to 18 now we're sitting at 26 and then we have a barber college too um and then now we got i got another one i'm working on uh it's called lax hair care and salon um over on 45th right next to steel cuts there it's gonna be a luxury barber shop so it's uh we're we're moving up and then my older my other brother that's with us um it took him about 12 years to come along <laughs> so he just graduated like four years ago about 10 years he graduated four years ago. We put him through Skill Cuts Barber College, and then he graduated, and he's doing fantastic. You know, it took him a while to get on board, but he's finally on board. I y'all built quite quite a bit of business for themselves. You know, it's uh, it's fantastic just watching, you know, just working alongside my brothers, and um, it's literally all my brothers are barbers except one. So it's like uh, seven of us. It's like only one of us that's not a barber. Yeah. What? What a fantastic story. That is uh, exciting, heartwarming. Oh, and the other thing you just shared, Will, this is a message for any prospective entrepreneur that wants to start their own business. You, You shared the perfect story. It's hard to get financing. Banks have no business. Banks have no business whatsoever investing Uh in startups. None. And that's because the money in the bank isn't theirs. It's the people that make deposits, right? So you you yeah. So you shared what every successful entrepreneur and those that fail, not not every entrepreneurial effort is successful. It's love investors that put money mm-hmm. in first it's family and friends and you had someone a former teacher that not only trusted you but he loved you and, and what 
what a fantastic friend you have. And I don't know if it was Mr. Didi or not. I don't remember exactly what the, what the Mr. name Mr. was. Heidi. Mr. <laughs> Heidi. Thank you, Mr. Heidi, because here we have this incredible business, which is such a remarkable success story. So we can find Will's business, Skill Cuts, at skillcuts.com, on Instagram, Skill Cuts Barbershop Salon. Oh, there's no Skill Cuts and Barbershop Salon on Instagram. And JL Chaplaincy is jlchaplains.com. Mike, what are some things you want people to do in terms of a call for action? And the reason I say it that way, we're all in this together. And the more we can love people, the better our communities will be. The more we can pour love into people, the stronger our communities will be. And we will have idyllic places for people to raise families, to enjoy life, and make it a lot easier for police. And that's something near and dear to me. So what, what's your call to action, Mike? Yeah, you bet. Um, well, yeah, thank you so much, Mike, and thank you, Will. Um, I think there's three things that I would say are are the call to action for jail chaplains. Uh, number one, pray. I, I would just I would ask everybody listening to pray for the men and women in that are incarcerated right now. Um, I pray ask for prayer for their family, prayer for the volunteers that are going in and doing uh, uh, work with them. Pray for as they come out that they would um, that they would not return, that they would um, stay in the community and be able to. Um, find Jesus and uh, be able to have a successful life outside of jail. Um, and so I, I think that prayer, we can't underestimate how powerful prayer is. And uh, and so number one, pray. Um, and number two, I would say volunteer. So as you're praying, I think part of that prayer would be, Lord, uh, help help me understand if this is something you want me to do. Help me to know if you want me to support this uh, work. And Jesus is pretty clear in the Bible when he talks about a few different people groups, uh, you know, those who are imprisoned, uh, visiting them and spending time with them and caring for them. That's one of the clear things that Jesus actually points out specifically uh, in scripture. And so I, I think um, just asking yourself, what does that mean for me? And then asking the Holy Spirit to point that out into your heart. Um, and then so I think the volunteering opportunities are great. We have anything ranging from right now, actually, we're going over to the state's attorney's office, Kim Hegvig and a bunch of her staff uh, this afternoon are packing backpacks for us. Uh, we're going to have 100 backpacks that we're able to use through the community supervision unit. As uh, individuals are coming out of um, jail, uh, they're able to get a backpack full of hygiene supplies and supplies that will help them uh, with their life uh, immediately after jail. Um, and so the, there's a whole bunch of state's attorneys and, you know, and their their workforce and their uh, their staff at the, the uh, courthouse, the Cass County Courthouse, that are actually packing those backpacks. So that's a that's an easy entry volunteer point. We also have, uh, you know, co um, facilitators. So right now we have 85 facilitators for our living free groups. And so that's a little bit more of a commitment. It uh, We ask people to go through a nine-week course and then an additional one month of online training. Um, so that does require a little bit more of time and commitment. 
Um, we also are starting with this idea of no inmate walks alone. Uh, we're starting a new level of volunteer that's really able to do one-on-one -on -one visits, but uh, through the glass in the jail and providing just a lot of training and support for those individuals. And so we're really recruiting for that level. So if people are interested in doing one-on-one -on -one visits with uh, inmates and, and just getting to know them and build trust and then helping to connect them and walk with those individuals into groups once they come into the community or connect them and connect them to a local church, that's a whole new level of volunteering that we're, we're really looking to build out. And then also, if you're, if you know, some, like your, your pastor, maybe, or you are a pastor listening or somebody who has a chaplain background, we are looking for volunteer associate chaplains as well to come in and, and help provide that care. Um, in person, face-to-face, -face, uh, in the actual pods in the jail. So pray, volunteer, and then finally give, right? We just had a, a very generous um, $100,000 match from a, a couple. And so right now, uh, we actually are able to match dollar for dollar whatever gifts come in. So you're able to make a gift at jailchaplains.com. Uh, there's a donate button. And then there's uh, multiple um, events coming up. So September 19th, we're actually doing a lunch in the jail. So we'll provide... We'll, in, anybody who's interested can come in, actually have lunch uh, inside the jail behind uh, the locked area and hear a testimony from an, uh, one of the current inmates. And then on October 5th, we have our big dessert social. So this is an annual event. Um, we serve dessert, uh, but we also get to hear about the mission, uh, the, the impact of the mission in our community. And it, we have a live auction as well. And so that's uh, October 5th at the Holiday Inn in Fargo. Um, at 6.30 p.m. and tickets are available and online right now on jailchaplains.com. So pray, volunteer, and give would be the three big things. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, you survive on the ability to raise money. Correct. Yeah, yeah, it, that's, it, that's right. It's all, yeah. it, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. We're not affiliated with uh, the county or any government entity. We, uh, all of our funds come from the generosity of the community and uh, just the goodwill from uh, generous people who are moved by the mission and say, yes, I'll help continue to, uh, this work in the community. A lot of people think otherwise, but from my background, I pretty much Knew the answer to that question when I asked him, but I thought I, thought I should ask. Thank you so much for what you're doing, Mike, and and, and we'll thank you for uh, what you're doing in our community. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question, Will. You have partners, your brothers, 26 chairs. I don't have a hair on my head. Is there anything? <laughs> is there anything you could do for me? At the oh back? man, uh, we got we got. <laughs> Great facials, uh, scalp massage, and we have a great discussion because we talk Bible, uh, we talk sports. <laughs> I'm so in. It's, uh, you know, it's it's a great it's a great environment. So uh, everyone's welcome. You know, it just it's it's a place where you know we we try to create an environment where it's family friendly and and just people like to come in and you know just even even some people they don't even get a haircut they come in and say hi and. Sure. You know, hang for a little bit, and you know, it's, it's the talk of the town. <laughs> I love it. Well, in addition to the website and Instagram, is there a phone number that people should be aware of? Yeah, it's the phone number is 701 235 3550. 701 Got it. And Mike, the website is sufficient, or is there another way for people to reach out? 
Yeah, you bet. Uh, jailchaplains.com. And then also our, our office number is 701-364-0067. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking time uh, to join me today. I appreciate so much what you're doing in our community. It's people like you and your work that make lives better for individuals, makes lives better for all of us, and these communities better places for all of us. God bless you in the work that you're doing. I wish you the best of success. I'm looking forward to see you soon. Have a great day. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless.